This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello, I am Sebastian Teotrio. And I'm Alex Hollingsworth. Welcome to The Hidden Curriculum, a podcast where we talk about all the stuff you didn't learn in graduate school. Hello, everyone. Hope you had a great week. We're excited to bring you this episode today. Alex, here's a fun question for you. What is the weirdest food you've ever eaten? Probably a durian. A durian. It's like an evil pineapple from Singapore. I thought you were going to say that's a Pokemon. Uh, that sounded more like a... Like a probably durian. is a Pokemon, too. <laughs> got to catch them all. It's, it's like this giant kind of yeah. hard, spiky food, that, and then you cut it open. I think it's a fruit, but I don't really know. And when you cut it open, it smells like rotting meat. Oh. Actually, in Singapore, if you eat it on the subway, you get like a $500 fine or, well, I don't know, the $500 equivalent fine. Is it fine. sweet? Oh, because it smells acidic. so bad. It's like <laughs> nutty and I, I don't know. I, I was not a fan of it, but I had it in ice cream and it was like pretty good in ice cream. But when I okay. just ate it like raw, it was, I, I think it's an acquired taste. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. What about you, Sebastian? What's the weirdest? <laughs> the weirdest, food it has to be fried scorpion. So I was in Beijing and there's like an area where you can eat in theory, quote unquote, weird foods, but I mean, weird for us Westerners or whatever. Right. And, and it was just like a bunch of options and there were seahorses and scorpions. So I tried the scorpions and it's like, it's actually very fried. It, it basically tastes like popcorn, which is interesting because it's like, oh, duh, right? Like it's just like popped right. like shell, but 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 you see them alive, like before they what? yeah before they cook them and then they cook them alive. That's I mean like it's sadistic. It's, yeah, it is. It is bad. <laughs> I think you know this is an age in my time where you know the word vegetarian and veganism did not exist in my vocabulary. Now obviously after the fact, it feels a little bit different. But That's insane. It's the worst things. What about you, Dania? I don't know. Well, you guys, you guys have like you guys are much more adventurous than I am. I would say. Right? I have chicken eaten a thigh or something. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. It's like that's it. I had uh, an orange. No, yeah, weirdest. I don't know. I guess you know more out of my realm was younger, never having had uh, eel before. And oh had yeah. Eel when I was in Japan, and that was delicious. But oh. yeah, so it's not very weird to people nowadays who. Right. a lot of sushi or something. I, know, I think my parents would find that pretty weird. There, I, there's probably <laughs> a lot of people. So actually, 40% of our listeners are international. So there's probably a, oh, cool. a breath of people who haven't tried Yale yet. Mm-hmm. So give me that. All right, great. So reveal our special guest today is Dania Francis. She's an assistant professor of economics at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. Her current research involves using experimental and quasi-experimental methods to identify structural causes of racial and socioeconomic academic achievement gaps. That's she received, yeah, sorry. <laughs> she received her doctorate from Duke University and holds a master's degree from Harvard, oh. a bachelor's degree from Smith College. She's also a board member of the National Economic Association, which is 
part of the topic that we'll talk about today, and a National Academies of Education slash Spencer Foundation postdoctoral fellowship. These are all really good things. How are you doing today? I'm all right. I'm all right. I suppose we should mention that it's post-election day. This is right. Yeah, filled with a little bit of angst, anxiety, and just overall, just wait and see. Yeah. Just in case this stretches out for weeks, it's Wednesday, November 4th. Right. (laughs) We don't know when this podcast is coming, but if if there is no current president and and if everything is, uh, you know, not in the ways that things are supposed to be, then then maybe this podcast will never actually air. I I have eaten a lot of Halloween candy that I was unable to give to students. I normally am in the past 24 hours. I, 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 I stressed, I mean, so I stress eat if that's my thing that I do. So I had pizza and ice cream sandwich, which was um, fantastic. Highly recommend. (laughs) I like that. Um, So we like to ask our guests to share a fun fact about themselves. What would be your shareable fun fact? Hmm, a fun fact. So, well, I don't know if it's fun so much as weird. I don't know. I, I can say all 50 states in alphabetical order in less than half a minute, less than 30 seconds. Okay, I, I mean, have we have to, to ask. Do it now. <laughs> we have to ask. Sorry. Okay. You kind of okay. set yourself up there. Two, one, go. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming. That's great. When did you, why did you have all the questions? We had to sing uh, a song called 50 Nifty United States in elementary school. And part okay. of the song is like this, like really like musical way to say them. And oh. so you learn things by music, I guess. That's and it just so sticks funny. with you. I love that. That's a great <laughs> It fact. was so fast. I'm 100% unable to verify. You could have like <laughs> slipped in. Well, like, our listeners will there. be able to, would... ver- to verify yeah. it because they'll see if it's actually a minute. So exactly. <laughs> You'll get called on Twitter if it was. Right. Like, like you didn't do the it. People in Idaho will be like, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So before we uh, dive into today's topic, we love to talk about some paper or project or anything that you'd like to promote. So is there anything you want to share with us today? Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, I guess maybe I'll I'll try to make this a a quick threefer. I have a series of papers that I look at the explanations for under-enrollment of minority students in advanced placement calculus courses. This is an important course because it's a gateway to STEM majors and careers in STEM. And so in one paper that's in 2019, the BE Journal of Economic Analysis and Policy, we do an, an audit experiment where we ask school counselors to say whether or not they would recommend a particular transcript of a student for advanced placement calculus. And all we change is the race and gender of the name on the top of the transcript. And some of our results indicate that it is much harder for Black female students to be recommended for advanced placement calculus, mm-hmm. even when they have the same academic record. Mm. A, a quick second paper, which is in the Journal of Economics, Race, and Policy, is a theoretical paper. That that paper, oh, I should say the first paper is co-authored with Angela de Oliveira and Carrie Dimmitt at UMass Amherst. 
The second paper is co-authored with Sandy Darity, and we look at, it's like, a, it's a theoretical treatment of the same question, and it's kind of meant as a bit of a rebuttal to Fryer's, Austin Smith and Fryer's 2004 theory paper on the acting white hypothesis in the QJE. So if you like a little bit of uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. controversy, tune into that yeah. one. <laughs> and then the third paper is actually forthcoming with a Russell Sage Journal, and it's also co-authored with Sandy Darity. And we do a, we use North Carolina data and do an empirical analysis of whether or not students are more or less likely, Black students are more or less likely to take advanced placement math courses by the time they graduate as a function of the percentage of Black students who are in those classes when they arrive on high school campus as a ninth grader. Right. So if they observe, you know, racial discrimination, uh, sorry, racial um, segregation within schools when they arrive on campus, does that influence their own um, perceptions and, and whether or not they eventually take those classes themselves? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Right. Okay. They, you are you are 22 percent more likely to take uh-huh. an AP math course Ooh. if you if there's a one percentage point increase in the share of black students in those courses. Wow. That sounds like an awesome research yeah. agenda, very compact and like, like really policy relevant. My question was, I think it was really cool that you're focusing on school counselors, but I'm not sure, like, I think that's the right population to focus on too, but I'm not sure like what I should expect. Are they, do you think they're going to be more prone to sort of like misclassifying people or less than like other people, like uh, other people who might recommend like parents or like other people at the school? Yeah, that's a good question, right? So your 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 teachers may know you best, right? And so the teachers may be the person, the people that uh, your teachers and your parents may know you best, and they may be the best person to um, help with that. But in a lot of school environments, the school counselor has this authority, right? And even when they don't have this, you know, supreme authority, they do have the ability to encourage or discourage people to take certain classes, right? Mm-hmm. So so in some cases, they're this sort of maybe backstop, I wouldn't call them gatekeepers, but this backstop of who who gets recommended and who doesn't, even when it is maybe up to the students themselves. Right? Oh, yeah. I wasn't trying to suggest that they're not uh, a really important group to like look at because they, they don't have like power authority. I just meant like, do you think like the effect, like the discrimination effect or whatever you're calling it would be like larger with them or like larger with mm. other groups? I just, or maybe it's like irrelevant because mm. like this is the target group. So why, why does it matter what, what like the effect would be if you did the same sort of experiment with other people? No, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I think to some extent it matters who who you pay the most attention to, right? Who do you respect the most? Whose opinion do you matters to you the most? And and you know, to some extent, if that's you know more likely to be your parents or your teachers, then 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 that's who that's who we should target. Was there like a a group or some of the characteristics about the school counselors that where there was no effect, differential effect? Can you look Um, at that? I guess maybe it's a power issue. Yeah, that's a great question. So, so in our in our in our current study, it's a power issue right. because get this: the the school counseling profession is about seventy seven percent women, and a similar seventy something percent white. And mm. so, you know, to find you know counselors who There's were not uh, you know, black or right, yeah, right. exactly, it's, yeah, you know, very difficult. So. That that's super interesting. And are you continuing this line of work, or you is this like a trilogy? And, 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 or there's going to be more 
more papers on this topic. So we're hoping to do a more nationally representative and nationally recruited uh, sample of the audit study. And so we will expand that, put more bells and whistles in it. We, we kind of thought of the first paper as a bit of a pilot project. So That's yeah. awesome. There will and be hopefully- more. Hopefully, if, you know, if somebody gives more money uh, to Dania, she could follow the other people <laughs> throughout because that would be super interesting. Yay. Yes. Yeah, to see how they change across <laughs> yeah. time with students so, things. Yeah, that'd be great. Make that cash flow. All right. <laughs> now we'll switch over to the next segment, which is where it's sort of a new thing that we've been doing where we talk about people's workflow. This is really broad. It's, it's not meant to be anything specific, but we just love to know your day-to-day work like, and you could think about like, there could be an idealized one or a teaching day workflow or a research mm. day or summer, but the spirit of this is basically or a day workflow, you know, or, yeah. or an election exactly. day workflow, yeah. right. you know, which, which drink are you next? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. but, you know, some, some people think about apps. Some people like to know how to approach your day, structuring it, just sort of whatever you'd like to discuss on this topic. We'd love to hear. Yeah, there's definitely an ideal versus a reality for me, <laughs> right? Like, in my ideal, I actually get something done. Um, but so I, so I teach right now, this, this semester I teach on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And mm-hmm. so I definitely try to block off Tuesdays and Thursdays as my work day. Yeah, this is my, oh. when I do research, research. and I try to do, I try to make sure to do that either. The thing that I haven't gotten into doing, which I really want to do, is then also start to really block off time in the calendar as if it's an appointment, an appointment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think that would help me because what happens is on Thursdays, because I've worked so hard on Monday, Wednesday, Friday doing, you know, re- teaching and service, Thursdays, I'm like, oh, I'm so tired, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. Right. I'll, you know, I'll do the laundry. That has to get done too, right? Like all those things. <laughs> yeah. like it's, it creeps in. But, uh, but when I am able to stay on track, I have times when I get, you know, blocks and it's like, I can't, you know, a task maybe seems so insurmountable when really it's not, but in my mind, I just don't even want to start it. Yes. And so, totally. yeah, right. And you're just, and then, you know, it, two days before it's due and then you're like, right. oh, look, exactly. I had all this time. Oh, I, I never, have to do it now. Right? <laughs> now I have to do it. Exactly. So what has been helping me recently was doing that, um, a lot of people have been, uh, what is it called? The like, faculty.org. The yeah, National I've done Center that. For, yeah. 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 So it's the, NFCDD, right? The National Yeah, Fall. that's right. Well, well wait, what is this? this? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you guys just say abbreviations. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I know. We just start throwing out acronyms, right? Yeah. No, so it's a... Uh, National it, Center for Faculty Development and Diversity. And then you're right that the website is facultydiversity.org. That work. Perfect. And so sometimes like you're, you know, there's a cost to, to some of the things that they offer, but some universities subscribe to it and they do, you know, boot camps to help you do things with productivity and planning out your day and time, you know, time journaling and things like that. But they also just have some really good advice about, you know, getting over hurdles like that, like just saying, hey, do 30 minutes today of mm. something for your research. And so with me, it's a good trick because in my mind, I can say, like, I cannot write this literature review. It's just not going to happen, right? It's like Mm -hmm. the thing I'm dreading. And if I say, okay, I'll spend 30 minutes at least just writing an outline of the literature review. Mm -hmm. And then before I know it, I look up and I'm like, oh, look, I I did half of it. Because it was just the getting started and giving myself permission to stop Mm -hmm. that was keeping me from, from doing it. So... That's so I do that. I have to trick myself into work. And what what is a part of the job research wise in the research part of that you really enjoy the most? 
Oh, I, I really like data analysis, which is yeah. kind of nerdy, right? Like, so I like sitting down and, and coding and thinking about, you know, how should this look? What should I be doing with that? And if you have like the first part that I write on any paper, I'll write the data and methods section because it's like, okay, that's, I got that, right? Like that, I can just, you know, check mark that part's right. done. And then lit review and framing, right? It's just it's right. framing. Yeah. That's the, I it's an art for me, like the it's hardest. It is. It is. You know, and so, which is yeah, which you have to be in a mood. I thought we were in science, but yeah, no, an <laughs> I'm not yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we're, in, we're in performance arts. Especially. We're yes. performance arts. Got it. I mean, for yes. presentation, this is so true, right? And I, then reviewer number two will say, "Ah, oh, the framing. I don't know." Right. <laughs> yeah. No. Totally. Um. So, and what about you? Wake up on on a Tuesday. How do you know what you're going to work on? Is it are you working in a pretty sequential kind of projects, or you? A bunch of things are in the stoves. Yeah. So I tend to have a lot of things going at once and, but I do, I'm a checklist. So I will have, um, even for each project, you know, it depends. Some days I'll just have a, a checklist for the day. Some, but sometimes if I'm um, really involved in a lot of things, I'll have a checklist for each project. And then I'll just kind of say like, mm. okay, let me just look and see, right? Like what's on deck. And then because it feels so good about checking something off right totally. even if it's totally. something small the dopamine yeah. is there yeah exactly so i actually have a question on that so you've got these like master checklists that like live somewhere for each project um and do you think of each day like scan them all or do you like have I, some idea of like hey, like tuesday i need to be working on this and then you look at that particular project and you're like i'm gonna work on this so on this project what do i do no, I actually, I scan them all because I try to keep as little in my head as possible because that's a bad thing. If, like, yeah. if I have to rely on it being in my head, it's not going to get done, right? Like, so I do. I've gone back and forth between my checklist being digital and me just having a really knowledge journal mm. book where I, you know, have tabs for each project. And then I just like can go through and flip through. Sometimes when the, when I'm not getting things done, I just go back old school, right? And go back to that journal because, you know, I'm like, the digital is getting distracting because I'm opening up other things while I should be looking at the che the check the, the checklist. Um, but yeah, so so having to scan and look and say, okay, I'll do this. Right, that's interesting. And and what is there like a a uh, change or something that you are like looking forward to improving on your next step of productivity? Let's say. Oh yeah, no, I um, I definitely less less distracted with um you know email twitter right <laughs> like things so, like that right because you were saying that blocking time right because you were saying like you're trying to use your calendar a little bit more right right It'd be like, that's this right is my sacred non you know internet time i guess kind of. that's exactly right and you know even now that we're home because of you know it's i'll go i'll go do the dishes i'll go Right. right. Like do the laundry, whatever else I can see that isn't yeah. the work I need to be doing. Right. Absolutely. Um, that's yeah. no, that's, that's where very similar stages for sure. Alex had a, had a, I think uh, he uses a for blocking that he recommended last week. Right. Was it, what Ooh. was it called? So it's called, uh, I don't know. It's like for actually you mentioned before we started recording that you use Apple products. So it's for a Mac. Um, it's called self-control. Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe it's like installing ransomware on my computer or something, but it, <laughs> it turns off my ability to access like a whole bunch of different websites because I, uh, I have no control. So like I, I, if I buy cookies or something at the grocery store, like <laughs> I'm going to eat 
all oh, of yeah. the cookies. So like, yeah. the only way I can prevent that is like just not purchase. Don't them. buy them. So yeah, um, I wrote so that down. Yeah, I wrote that down. That's good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't think there's an equivalent on your phone. Unfortunately, Apple's blocking app is too easy to circumvent by just being like, yeah, I'm done. Get out of here. So Okay. The, the, other, the other thing I've done recently in, in COVID times is my grad school roommate, his name is James Harrison. Shout out to him. He's a professor at the Naval Academy. Um, he, I sent him like a message being like, hey, work session. And we have like an hour to an hour and a half like work session where, you know, we catch up for like 10 minutes and then we're both there. We're literally not talking. We're literally just working. And like, you know, it works, I would say like 70% of the time. I think like 30% of the time, like I'm just like not in the mood and like no matter what, I'm not going to work. But then there's a solid 70% of the time where the person is working, I'm going to be working too, you know, or I feel bad talking too much because he wants to work. And so then I'm like, I need to work. Right. (laughs) So I think like a combo of those things has been, you know, working so far, but yeah. I like that. All right. So to recap, we've got use a calendar. Ideally, you'd be keeping appointments with yourself, but that's like a ideal versus reality right now. Uh, time blocking across days and days. There's non-teaching days. Uh, and then some like tip sort of reducing resistance seem to be the uh, NCFDD, uh, you know, write, like pay yourself to write 30 minutes in the morning. First thing, giving yourself permission to stop at 30 minutes is an important thing as well. Uh, and then writing the data part first seemed to be a thing just because it's sort of like you did the code, you like that part. So it seems like less resistance around uh, writing up like the words around that code. That's um, right. But framing is really hard. Um, yeah. And then, <laughs> then a map of ch- checklists, whether they're analog or digital, scanned each day. And then you sort of pick what you're going to do with the, the time available uh, on that day. And that focus is really important. That's right. That sounds oh, good. That's amazing. I never heard of this. NCCFD, and I'm looking at it right now. That it sounds, it looks really cool. Oh, 20, 000, 20k. Okay, yeah. so I, I, my university, <laughs> I, didn't realize pays. That. I thought it was gonna be like five dollars a month, and I was like, no. like Netflix. Oh, okay. insti- there are institutional memberships, yeah. So if, you're, if you're if your university pays. Oh, individual pricing, yeah. it says $500 a year. That's a little bit more reasonable. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I also think we've used a different acronym for it every time we've every time. talked about it. So <laughs> I think that's great. That's great. Okay, cool. Right. Well, I'll have, to, I'll have to dig into this. So you, you like, is, is, do you endorse this or like half endorse it? I, I would endorse. I would endorse it. I've never done the boot camp, um, but they did a they did a workshop on our campus before, and you know I've, I've used some of their techniques. Okay, Got it. I, I, I've done it like two or three times, uh-huh. and either that I did it, I did not get a lot out of it because I wasn't in a position where I had a lot of writing to do. And they now take a slightly or like more recently when I've been engaged with them, they take a more broad definition of what constitutes writing to coding and stuff. But I have no problem spending 10 hours coding. I have a huge problem sitting down and writing strings of sentences in a row. Yes. So like, (laughs) I think it was the second time I did it when I like actually had results and I had some papers that I needed to be writing, I found it very useful. Mm. Um, and then you get paired with like non-economists, people all over, and that's both really helpful and frustrating. Um, <laughs> and I think uh, part of the frustrating bit was like the grass is always greener. I think all of us were frustrated because the other person's to-do list seemed easier to them. Oh, uh, yes. But it was kind of, but it was really nice to hear and talk with people from other fields. That was a really valuable component of it for me. All right, so that's a great place to pause and shift topics to talk about the topic of the day. So we want to talk about the NEA, which is the National Economic Association. 
Um, we want to talk about what the organization is and how it can help uh, people in different parts of their career. So uh, first, I'll set up the stage. How is your, what is your involvement with the NEA or how it started your involvement with the NEA? <clears throat> so currently, I'm actually a, an NEA board member. Um, I'm serving my second term. I think the terms for board members are three years. This is my second term. I actually re-upped because I enjoy it. I heard about and knew about the NEA to some extent as a, uh, as a grad student. Um, in part because, you know, my advisor, uh, Sandy Darity at Duke, was very involved with the NEA. He's a past president. Um, he's won the NEA's Westerfield Award, which is a, a prestigious award that we give out. Um, and uh, so, you know, I knew about it. Um, I was not as involved until probably about, um, I don't know, maybe a year into um, being an assistant professor. So I guess maybe, um, uh, I don't know, five years ago. And it's really been, I guess I would say like, I feel like my, out, my career outlook, right? Hasn't mm. after mm. being involved with, with, with the NEA. Do you, do you think that's a function of like meeting lots of people and talking with them? Or is there like, is there something unique about the NEA that's like Im uh, helped improve your career outlook? I'm just wondering like, yeah, like sometimes what, it's just like a network of people to have, right? So Yeah. So, okay. Let me put it like this. So I have always found, this is my own personal opinion, right? I have always mm -hmm. found it um, in the past, like uh, a, a difficult thing to do to attend ASSA meetings I have, you know, I work on issues of, of race and uh, discrimination and let's face it, economics is a field that, you know, doesn't even like to sort of use the word discrimination. We prefer mm -hmm. to say everything else we can say before we say discrimination. And so I have often talking about my work in lots of circles at ASSA meetings. It's kind of like a hostile environment. Okay. So for, for me, for a long time, even just going to those meetings, it was like dreading, which is awful because they're kind of expensive to go to, right? Like you have to right. like right. build this up, but we have to go. a professional society that you're in, you don't want to like, that's, that's not Ex a good outcome right. if you're treading. Exactly. And if we kind of have to go. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This should be Lollapalooza. Right. And so then um, I started getting more involved with the NEA and realized, oh, you know, like, well, the NEA has all these sessions at ASSA. Right. And I really, um, you know, kind of just dived more into the NEA sessions at ASSA and attending those, attending their research sessions, attending, you know, their happy hours, um, their networking events. And it was like so much more of an enjoyable experience mm. for me. And so even presenting my papers at NEA sessions, the feedback is just as rigorous, right? Mm -hmm, just as tough, mm -hmm. but delivered like respectfully and with an air where it's <laughs> like, we care about making your paper mm -hmm. better for, mm -hmm. right? Like, right. like, this is a good idea you have and we want to help you make it it's better. It's a growth mindset, right? Yes. Thank you. I yeah. like the way you said that. So it just felt so much more nurturing. And so I think for me, at least, um, I look forward now. Now every year, I'm I'm excited That's to go awesome. to SSA because it's like, oh, I get to see like this community of people who who I know. Um, we are all interested in in helping each other grow. The question I was going to ask though is: Is this a professional organization just for like 
economists with PhDs or seeking PhDs like grad students or is their involvement with undergrads? Um, sort of how broad is the uh, uh, outreach and membership? That's a great question. So there are definitely uh, membership options or tiers, right? Like w- w- welcome, welcome all, right? But we definitely have you know professional memberships that is for a PhD economists, whether you're working in academia, whether you're working in um, uh, industry or, or think mm-hmm. tanks or something like that. That's um, important. All are welcome. Yeah, and also have student memberships for for graduate students, um, and uh, we you know we encourage graduate students to you know submit research for uh, our panels and things like that. And we actually do have a lot of graduate students who attend. We have a summer conference joint with ASH, the American Society for Hispanic Economists, and we are getting engaged more right now with undergrads. So as part of an initiative over the past two years, brought on by two of our most recent past presidents, um, Benga Ajalori and Amari Swinton, we're doing student chapters, undergrad student chapters of the NEA, which are in some areas, I think like Atlanta is one of the first areas that we're looking to to start it in and mm-hmm. partnering with the Federal Reserve to help do some you know, mentoring and sponsoring of some of the activities, but um, but in more involved with, with undergrads and trying to get more undergrads. That's great interested in economics, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think I should have asked this question before, but can you tell our audience what is the NEA? Sorry. And we should think about <laughs> this. Well, you know, whenever the first time I ever heard of the National Economic Association, I, lit- I literally thought that was like a, like the A. Was the A-S-S-A? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so maybe can you help us define what the NEA is? is yeah. Yeah. So the NEA was actually established in uh, 1969. We just celebrated our you know, 50 years um, of the NEA. Thank you. And it was started as the Caucus of Black Economists. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. And um, it was, you know, initially began as an effort to, I don't know, maybe sort of challenge the AEA to think a little bit more about, you know, race and opportunities for economists in, uh, in the field. Hmm. So, um, it's been going on for 50 years, everyone. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and we're still thinking about it. <laughs> I, I don't know if you know, um, you know, SimGap, the Committee for uh, Minority Groups mm. in the Economics Profession. I know. That's how like, you say, say it. I didn't yes. realize. Yes. Yes. SimGap. This is a part of the hidden <laughs> curriculum, which is the, uh, the, the, the way that the group <laughs> pronounces the acronym. Because yeah, you never yeah. know from looking at it. Right, because people don't say NEA. Right, right. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That. Sounds good um, like insider. That's yeah, right. <laughs> now you know, right? Um, yeah, so um, SimGap was kind of a, a, a an outgrowth of the organizing of um, the Caucus of Black Economists. And so eventually um, the Caucus of Black Economists became the National uh, Economics Association. And they have a similar men- uh, um mission, which is obviously continue to increase opportunities for, for Black economists, but also more broadly to pr- promote, you know, research and, you know, information on economics that affect the economic lives of Blacks in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And people of color more as well. So mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I think it's important to, um, for folks to know that, right, like it, it's, as an organization founded by Black economists, we are open to all, right? Like, I was going to ask that question because yeah, people yeah. always like have that question. Is like, can I join, right? And I'm a <laughs> yes. member of NEA. Um, and I guess people maybe don't know who I am. Yeah, yes, you like, absolutely I can join. Black American, yeah. so, <laughs> yes. No, you do not have to be Black to join the National Economic Association. Mm-hmm. We welcome everyone. So That's right. 
things. Okay, I was just gonna ask. Let's let's say I love this and and I want to join the NEA. What do I gain from my membership, or what is my membership to the NEA? That's good. So, so as as a grad student, first of all, your membership costs are, are half off. I should, you know. Um, also, I think it's good to just uh, put it out there. Um, our membership cost for mm-hmm. professional membership cost for one year is fifty dollars, right? So not very right. um, expensive for grad students, right? Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so grad students twenty five dollars, and you know, with some you know uh, discounts for doing three year memberships. So for that low low price. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you get a subscription to the Review of Black Political Economy, oh, yeah. which is the, the journal of the um, National Economic Association. You obviously you get um, access to, you know, the NEA Jobs Bulletin. You get access to we have a newsletter and then all of our networking opportunities access to any scholarships, fellowships, and grants that we hear about and we, you know, we, we promote within um, the organization. Um, and then also the, again, the NEA ASH um, Summer Conference, which is uh, really mm, great. great. It's really great for grad students. Um, yes. um, I have discovered over the years that uh, lots of grad students have said they've gotten a lot of feedback on their research that's really helped them push, right? Yeah. So. And one thing that I would mention is that I think you can join the NEA email list in theory for free, right? I highly recommend everyone um, to join that because they really send a lot of really great opportunities that, to be honest, sometimes I only hear from that list. And so highly recommend uh, checking that out. Can you tell us a little bit about, you said, networking opportunities that the DNA offers its members? What are, what are some of those? Yeah, so um, so in addition to um, a annual networking reception at ASSA, um, the NEA will often have um, receptions and at some of the other regional economics meetings, like Southern's SEA, uh, Southern Economic Association meetings. The NEA will sometimes have uh, events there. Again, now we're doing, uh, we do, you know, um, opportunities for mentoring and getting involved with the AEA's mentoring program. There's a, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> a big, a good overlap in the, you know, personnel who are involved in the NEA, along with the personnel who are involved in, in the AEA's uh, summer program and mentoring programs. You know, just in general, having access to a community of of people mm-hmm. who are able to say, "Oh, you're 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 interested in doing what? Oh, I know somebody who's interested in doing that, right?" Like, right. so right. I think yes. that's uh, that's a key that has been a key thing for me in in my career, at least. And then I, mm-hmm. I I don't know if this is the same as the newsletter you mentioned, but when I was going through the NEA's website preparing for this, I found this like amazingly named newsletter that comes out <laughs> called the Minority Report. Um, could oh, you just, yeah. just describe sort of what happens in there and, and what, what goes on? Because just skimming the 2021, it's it's like really cool stuff is in here. Like it was talking about how errors in census counts affect federal spending and like walking through like, why does this matter? Who does this affect? Like, and like, I learned something about like how like the the census affects public spending in the U.S. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty cool newsletter. Yeah. For a, for a young audience, the Minority Report is a movie with Tom Cruise. And so that <laughs> is why right. it's funny. Yeah. And, and it teaches us about the dangers of presupposing. Very yeah. important right now. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> Tangent. Yeah. Go ahead. So there's the precogs. It's great. It's, it's a great movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> so the what so the minority report um i think it began in uh, 2008 and it's actually another one of those joint ventures um between nea ash and uh simgap again so that you know simgap represents the aea's involvement in it and so one of the things that uh that happens in the minority report is uh you know really interesting just like you just like you just mentioned that article like interesting research uh i think in one of the the more recent ones R Rhonda Sharp had some really interesting information about you know disaggregating data just like you were talking mm. about the census data and errors also like the importance of disaggregating data because when we report aggregated data we don't get a lot of the you know clear indication of what's going on with certain populations right mm -hmm. um so so yeah so just like another you know free source of information um relevant to people who are interested in you know the economic standing of you know blacks in the u.s um hispanics in the u.s and so on that's awesome. Yeah, I Thanks. and I think um, you know it's funny. I I'm I'm on Twitter and a lot of people you know talk a lot about oh we need a lot more information and people need you know we need to do more research on this topic. There's actually been a lot of people who've been doing a lot of research for a while yes. and, and a lot of like interesting fun facts and finding. And I think the Minerva report um, and it's a nice PDF has a lot of this cool bite-sized pieces. So if you're legit interested in that. Go check it out, uh, read it, download it, make comments, email, and whatever. There's like a really amazing set of people uh, working on it. So can I, can I add, since you brought that up, this is a great point that, because um, um, I'm on Twitter too, and a lot of people will ask, you know, interesting questions about, especially given what was happening this summer and, you know, this re revival and interest in uh, topics of race and discrimination, do this study or whatever. Nine times out of 10, the thing that you're <laughs> interested in has had some attention paid to it in the review of black political economy. Mm. So I would say encourage, you know, this is my sort of public service announcement. Like I encourage you, if you're interested in something that involves, you know, you know, research surrounding race, do a search in the review of black political economy first. So there you can, you know, find some really good um, uh, footing, right. To, mm -hmm. to, to build from, I think. And also in the Journal of Race and Uncertainty or Economics, Race and Policy, I think. That's right. Gary, yep. Gary Hoover runs it. Um, That's exactly right. I, I totally agree with that. Like there's been a lot of like interesting work there that I feel like I, I see there and I don't see in other places that it would be great to highlight. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for those insights. Uh, every week, we like to ask our guests for a recommendation of the week. It can be anything you want. It could be like, a brand of clothes, a, a song, state of command. The only one time it's been a state of command, but I always use that in my list of examples. So maybe I had to change it up. A, a recipe tip. That's a frequent tip of the week. Uh, anything that improves your life in a, in a small way. So. Oh, that's a, that's a really good. Um, so here's a testament to, again, how maybe how odd I am. When you said that, the first thing that came to mind was... Um, uh, advice never to put fats, oil, or grease, and that includes cheese, down your drain. It'll clog up your drains. You'll end up playing a plumber so much. So you've like, if you've cooked something, you know, like people can imagine not pouring a whole thing of grease down their drain, but they right. don't even think like also like if you've got gravy left over, that's fats. Like you're supposed to, you know, put it in plastic but and solid, throw it away. Solid cheese is fine. No, solid cheese is not fine. Do not put down your drain. Down your drain. You put solid cheese down your drain. First of all, why do you have leftovers? Yeah. First of all, why are we yeah. judging me? Who doesn't eat all, every cheese possible? Exactly. exactly. So remember though, fog, fats, oil, and grease. Don't oh. put them down your drain. Okay, that's to be honest. I that's a great Helpful. tip because I did not know. That. <laughs> You're welcome.
Like I knew about the oil, but not about yeah. the fats and the in the. It, it sounds like you learned an expensive lesson based off of the, like not me. About, no, you, no. <laughs> okay. not me. I just I'm just super. Didn't we already talk about the fact that I have all these checklists? I'm just a preparer, and I'm so super prepared about things and always planning for the worst contingencies. Can, can I can I push you to give a second tip of the week uh, and talk about your earbuds? How so I, have to like... I think I think this is genius. So um, two people in your household, or at least two sets of AirPods, exist, and you have like put a really like tastefully done yeah. tape around them. They kind of look like earrings. So like, yeah. your earpods are blue, whereas yes. maybe your partners or your other set are uh, untaped or green or something. I don't know, but I think it's it's a, That's it's a pretty right. good identification solution. That's right. It's part of, um, I guess maybe the part of my background that doesn't know how to share. I, um, I, <laughs> it's like in your ear. All right. You I know. I, know. That's right. That's right. I claim all of my things by doing things like putting colorful tape on them yeah. to let people know in my house, <laughs> these are mine. Don't lose them. <laughs> I love it. All right, Sebastian, you're up next. My recommendation of the week is for everyone to go check a YouTube channel the, uh, it's run by this guy. His name is Ali Abdal, and he is an MD in the UK. And he started just doing a YouTube channel about being an MD and studying for tests or whatever. But it's turned out about to this like productivity channel where he talks about a bunch of stuff. And um, and I mean, I, I think his videos are great. I think he gets to the point. I think he says it in a style that it speaks to me. And, you know, that's, it's been the first time that I've been influenced by an influencer. So he, he has this keyword and I love this keyword and I bought this keyword, which I, my listeners cannot see it, but it's a beautiful keyword. I'll put a picture on it on Twitter. Um, and I imagine we could probably hear the keyword though. It's a oh. fancy mechanical <laughs> keyword. Cool. Is that, is that the blue switches on there? Cherry blue. That's right. Cherry blue. Yeah, yeah exactly. So um, anyways, check, check. I'll put a link on the description. Wait, I'm trying to do fancy stuff here. Um, and check for uh, Ali Abdal. Um, oh, wait, Alex, what does what the is... keyboard do? I'm sorry. Oh, it's just a Bluetooth keyboard that looks good, but it also has RGB <laughs> lights. So like you can't <laughs> see it right now, because but you can see it's kind of great. Let me turn off the lights. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I see the lights. Is that a but key it, cron? Uh, I don't know, but it's okay. also it's also mechanical. So like some people like mechanical keyboards because That's of right. that. And I love that. I just love it. So I like that. <laughs> Alex, what's your recommendation it. of the week? Uh, so mine is it's gonna be super cooking related. So I am I enjoy cooking and I I'm, I'm reasonable at following instructions when it comes to cooking. Uh, but like when I was learning to cook and they were like, is the meat well done? Or is even like mm. the potato cooked? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Let me bite it and I'll figure yeah. it out. I, yeah. I would like cut into it. So just buy a cheap <laughs> kitchen <laughs> thermometer that goes uh, in. And I have one that's magnetic and it just goes on the fridge. And I feel like maybe they're coming over for dinner so they're just nice. But I like I, people compliment my food now. Whereas before I feel like they were like. Like, oh, like to be uh, polite, eat it, or I'm like, I feel like it's, I consistently can cook meat oh, okay. and things the way that I want it now. Okay. Um, nice. I, I, I cook steak for the first time in my life, like the fixed American thick steak this week. And, um, and all the recipes were like, check, check the temperature, check. And I was like, I don't have a meat thermometer. So we're just going to go alive. We're just going to go raw here. Like, <laughs> so and, which way did you go? Were you eating like blood or did you like, was it uh, like I was style eat, well done with ketchup? I'm, I'm from out in America, <laughs> which means I eat it really burnt. <laughs> so 
I was a little on the burnt side. I'm sorry. But I'm I'm starting to eat more red meat. I just, it's just so weird. Like burned, do you mean well done? Yes, well done. Okay. Well right. done. Sorry. Yeah. I wasn't like yeah. burned. But people like char people is good. really get upset that I'm eating well done steak, right? Like, I'm, people do. I'm sure no. Yeah. yeah. People yeah, have so feelings about it. People have feelings. I will get canceled. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Not the first time, but, you know, I was kidding. <laughs> Not the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Something happened in Peru we need to know about? That's why I left. That's why I left. Okay. Oh, no. All right. Well, I think that's all we have today. Um, I really appreciate having you on here today. Um, is there anywhere or could you list the places where uh, listeners could find more information about you, about your work, or about anything else that you'd love to share? Oh, awesome. I'm on Twitter at Dania Francis, D-A-N-I-A Francis. Um, and my website is aeneafrancis.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.